0: This is a break from the normal BritFlix.com podcast service, one I'm grandly calling the Future of Film series, where I talk to a number of professionals across the film industry about the impact of COVID and perhaps look into our crystal balls and see what that might mean for the future of film, the future of cinema, and in particular, what it means for indie filmmakers. Without further ado, on with the show. Recently, as in during the pandemic, I've interviewed 20 people who are taking part in Inside Pictures programme and we talked a lot about what does the pandemic mean for the film industry and what does a post-Covid world mean for the film industry and understandably everyone had a lot of guesses and opinions but nobody had the answer because there was 20 different answers, there was 20 different impacts and this is people who work in production, who work in distribution, who work in exhibition who work in sales people who work in stop motion animation you know there was no real full understanding of what this might all mean so with that in mind I reached out to people to see if I could get some opinions on maybe how they see what's what's happened what's happening and what might happen in the future welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast and today's guest is a returning guest. Welcome, consultant and founder of Distribution Rewired, Beatrice Newman. Hi
1: Stuart, lovely to be here again.
0: Before we get into the questions, do you want to give a, a brief overview of your your whole life, I suppose, as a, as a freelancer in this film industry?
1: Yes, uh, I'd love to, because uh, whenever people ask me, so what do you actually do? It uh, can be quite a complicated answer, <laughs> because... Um, so i used to uh do acquisitions for sales and distribution uh-huh. um and then decided to go freelance in um 2015 um so finished off my job end of 2014 went into 2015 and um kind of actually with not that much lined up um what it had done acquisitions is is I, it really suited me because I love having my fingers in many different pies,
2: uh-huh.
1: and um, and it was always kind of my ambition to work for myself eventually. But I felt I needed some foundation, and I need to build my network. And it it's just um, when you're doing it um, as part of a company, um, it it's just different. I wanted to understand the system I'm working in. So um, And all that all worked out in a way, and I I launched into my freelance life actually with, but in the end, uh, when I quit my job, I had nothing lined up. Three months later, because I had to work three months notice, um, I had quite a few things lined up, and I was kind of quite open-minded because um, I hadn't really quit with a solid plan um the thing which I actually originally wanted to pursue was to build my own VOD platform mm. and um so and out of that came kind of the first thing I initiated where it wasn't that I got a job so uh and that was distribution revived and we talked about that a couple of years ago we did and uh That really came out of me um, doing research on VOD platforms and realizing that even though I come from a distribution background, uh, that it's not an easy landscape to understand and and work your way through and understand who operates in it, who are the people you should know. And I decided to make my learning public and that was the start of distribution rewired as an event. Uh. Um, uh, At the same time, I I started also what is really taking up most of my time nowadays is that I started uh, working as a trainer in the film industry. So I um, started working with Creative England on Market Trader with Julia Short, which I know is also part of the series. Uh-huh. And um, also um, I had a um, part-time lecturer job lined up at Sheffield Hallam. And my job was a new module, which was all about uh, festivals and distribution. So I it was my job to basically train up um, the film and media production students to um work out how to get their film to an audience uh. and make a plan for it and and uh research that area and um yeah, and since then I've been designing lots of training programs uh I also um Distribution rewired developed so that is um, uh, is and was in collaboration with the Edinburgh International Film Festival two-day event and, and really focused on everything happening in the kind of distribution landscape which is new and innovative and new trends and new um, uh, and I had every year I had a theme. Um, just to give it a bit of a focus and a bit of a skew. And uh, and another big part of the event was a project market. And uh, really what I wanted to do is, I was quite frustrated in, in the last years of doing my job as an um, acquisitions exec, that I had to say no to certain films, which I thought definitely had an audience but it just was a bit too disparate or too niche for distributor to be able to take it on. Uh And um, I wanted to give these films a chance. And uh, so every year we selected 10 projects and we put them actually together, direct distribution style with consultants, with cinema bookers, with marketing people. Uh, with PR people, anything you can think of and lots of VOD platforms So in the beginning uh, and that is the connection back to my original plan of starting a VOD platform um, is that I really was interested in that digital arena and I wanted to raise more awareness of what's out there and um, so people, you know, Companies like Movie were part of it, but also BFI player and Curzon was up, and you know all the usual suspects, apart mm. from the really big ones. So the two I never got was Amazon and Netflix, in spite of Netflix sponsoring the festival one year.
0: <laughs> I think we're going to cover, some, we're going to come over some of the ground you've talked about there in perhaps yeah. more detail. Answer these questions, and and what we came up with as an umbrella headline for our conversation is. Self-distribution for indie films post-Covid, none of this is new, which obviously echoes one of my experiences of the Inside Pictures conversations, where what seemed to be a headline is saying, look what they're doing, look what they're doing, and then everyone who's working in this is going, this is not surprising, this is not surprising. So as a starting point to to lay the groundwork as to what we're going to talk about, do you want to describe what traditional film distribution is versus self-distribution?
1: Yeah, so, um, and uh, I think the first thing I, I want to kind of just clarify, because I think it's important people understand the terminology. Sure. So, um, why we talk about self-distribution, it really, what the industry often talks about is direct distribution. Um, because, uh most people who uh, most filmmakers I should say, who end up being very involved in the distribution are probably not doing it completely by themselves so they get people involved um, who help them um, go about the the business and um, to be honest I'm not quite sure how that direct distribution terminology came into being but just, I I just think it's important that people understand when people talk about direct distribution, it basically is DIY distribution or, or self-distribution, what okay. is meant. So the filmmakers are part of, at least part of the process, and often are the driving force. And um, so traditional distribution, uh, so in very long time ago, Yeah. it feels like I'm telling now stories of Uh, Well, I'm definitely telling stories of another century. uh, Is uh, you you gave your you found a distributor? They took your film. You know they licensed your film. Um, If you were a UK filmmaker, maybe you actually found your own distributor. So you you looked. You know you maybe had relationships with UK distribution, or you did it for a sales company. And uh, they took the film, they looked after it, they did all the PR and everything. And basically, you know, if you're lucky, uh, you got a report and you got a check out of it. And hopefully you got more than one check out. Of it. <laughs> and that has changed a long time ago in the sense that uh, as um, it got harder and harder to make money uh, uh, in distribution And with films, because there were just more and more films out there every week, you know, I mean, we are, in non-COVID times, we were at 16, 17 new releases every week, which is mental, Mm. if you think that the average amount of times people go to the cinema in this country is three times a year. So it's just, it's just a crazy amount. And uh, so... The money which was there, it didn't become all of a sudden more money which was spent on going to the cinema, but it was spread across a lot more films. So, every, most films had to share. More films had to share the pie, right? And that means for the majority of films, there was less left for them, mm. and that had an impact on how this uh, on distribution in the sense that. Distribution companies had to really think hard how much they spent on a on a release of a film. Mm. And obviously they had a whole operations that, uh, you know, they have um, in a medium-sized distribution company has most of the people they need to do their job in-house and or used to anyway. Uh, and uh, where we have got to is a lot of outsourcing using consultants right. these days rather than having staff in-house all year round and but still in spite of that um it's just um there wasn't there isn't enough to go around and um you know it costs a lot of money especially if you are a company.
0: it's an interesting it's an interesting sort of almost like oxymoron isn't it there's there's more films than ever but there's not enough Film revenue to go around to justify yeah. that amount of that many films in, in circulation.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's not. I mean, even though people actually, you know, there is this kind of maybe perception in the wider public that because of Netflix and Amazon, less people went to the cinema. And yes, probably in absolute numbers, sometimes it was less. But it's 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 actually quite stable. Has been quite stable for quite a few years. And actually, we had a bit of a surge in the uh, before COVID, um, uh, in terms of cinema admissions. Uh, we had one of the best years. I think it was two thousand eighteen.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think as far, as far as I understand, the people who subscribe to, if you subscribe to at least two platforms, you're, that's evidence that you're more than likely going to be someone that goes to the cinema a lot more than the three times a year average.
1: Exactly, and uh, it's a different experience uh, going to the cinema than watching online, and I think uh, probably uh, that's definitely something we all learned uh, in the past year, that uh, we still want these experiences. Um, you know, um, for example, I I don't... Um, a comedy sitting by myself on on my sofa is not as funny as when I'm in a cinema and people laugh along with me I'm gonna laugh a lot harder and a lot uh, more
0: yeah and uh, and the same I think the same rules apply to uh, a horror film is not nearly as scary as when you're sat in a room with 300 other people in the dark
1: exactly exactly it's it, it there's obviously an atmosphere in the room and you are soaking it up as much as you watch the film
0: if traditional film distribution is about separate companies doing the the distribution of your film for you and self-distribution is the idea of the filmmaker taking control of it and doing it themselves why self-distribute and i suppose there are two sort of factors there is the i choose from the get-go to self-distribute versus my film never got picked up by the traditional film distribution route and therefore I have to self-distribute. So do you want to pick apart those two sort of main sort of approaches?
1: I think that people uh, consciously choose to actually go down a uh, uh, direct distribution or self-distribution uh, route and drive that process is fairly recent that they did do it as a choice. hmm I the most people I end up working with or I come across um, uh, you know in my work also with distribution right is people who have a lack of connection with distribution because you know it may be it's their first film or they they worked in TV before and it's the first time they did uh, a film so they're kind of crossing over from a different arena and. They just don't have the network and maybe don't also not kind of in terms of a peer filmmaker network that who helped them introduce. But I think the important thing is to say, because we are in a special place in the UK to to some extent, because if you were a filmmaker in Germany and in France, it probably wouldn't occur to you to self-distribute. Okay. Um, We have have an environment where that's possible, and it's because our landscape is different to continental European landscape, which is a lot more rigid. I mean, there isn't an infrastructure where you can directly talk to cinemas and you can actually or directly talk to uh, VOD platforms. Um, So... It's and oh it's it's really still underdeveloped. I mean you have you start having examples as well they it's coming yeah but um the reason why it has it's a people have been able to do that in the UK for a number of years is because there's an openness here to it which does not exist in every market so I think that's a really. Important thing to understand why we even talk about this and can talk about.
0: This. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even just talking about established companies. Uh, uh, one example that came up, and I ended up speaking to Damien Spanley from Curzon, is German and French producers seeing the the the, the vertical model of Curzon and thinking, "I wish we could have that for uh, for our in our in our film film distribution landscape." Yeah, because it, does, it doesn't exist in quite the same way. I mean, I think it does now, but I think for a, for
1: a... well, but still not uh, to the same extent. Yeah, um, uh, and and one thing, so one thing which prevents it, and it's going to be super interesting what's going to happen as uh, markets open up again mm. if if it maybe becomes more flexible they still were very locked into the Windows system. Mm. Um, and they had very big, big windows. So this is, um, for those who are not aware of how Windows work, uh, is, um, the time, it is, there's a set standard from uh, cinema release to home entertainment, what used to be DVD, and now is, mm. is uh, transactional VOD. So when you pay for um, so so it's France and Germany and they like
0: still a strict sort of 90 day window for exclusivity for the cinema.
1: Well, it's actually more than that. Wow. I think Germany is 120. France also is more uh, longer than the UK. UK already had one of the shortest in Europe anyway. Okay,
0: okay, that's interesting.
1: But obviously with COVID, now we are in a world where the studios um um I mean the The studios are often, in a way, setting standards. Mm. So they observe the windows, and that means the cinemas could ask independents to observe the windows because that's where that request came from. A distributor not necessarily wants a ninety-minute, a ninety-day window, because it means if they have a smaller film, that film is maybe only a week or maybe three weeks in the cinema and maybe then does a few, um, you know, single shows um, uh, across the country. With a film like that, it would be great if you could then could go quite quickly to a VOD platform because it means that you um, can, all the PR and the marketing effort you built up for that release and you have, you would have a limited amount to spend, you can maximize it and the awareness hasn't faded yet. And, you know, all the good you've done with having the film in the cinema, you can take straight into a VOD release, which is the curse model.
0: Which yeah, I was going to say, which is the Curzon thing, isn't it? That's what they, they, they maximise, don't they? You
1: know, Curzon had, when they had bigger films and they would have liked, and they were, used to be able to do that, use picture-house cinemas to, uh, to expand the amount of cinemas for their release, Picture house because they were part of uh, they are part of cinema insisted on the windows, and uh, that means uh, they couldn't use the cinemas um, with their release model. So anyway, so this 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 kind of rigid window system is a lot more prevalent in continental Europe and in the UK a lot there's a lot of smaller independent cinemas who do not necessarily insist on it especially if you come as a filmmaker so they're a lot more flexible in the sense that they can make you know they can make these decisions
0: to be to put it in simple terms an independent cinema in the UK is a bit like a function room at a pub if you can rent you want to hire it out and show your film you can agree to do it can't you as if you were hiring a room in a pool. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Obviously, if you uh, you can you can do that with any cinema. Mm. Uh, it's called or walling it. Okay. Um, and that's where you basically pay the cinema. You rent basically the space, and then you can sell tickets, and you get the proceeds of the tickets. But normally, if you actually book a cinema, um, then you split uh the box office with the cinema and the cinema gets most of it.
0: Okay, so th- so you're you're talking there's a, so there's there's a I want to use a cinema and then there's a mutual agreement between you and the cinema to show a film. Yeah. Good.
1: It means you uh if if it's a mutual agreement then um you're sharing the risk. Um while if you obviously rent it then all the, the risk is yours and it costs a lot of money.
0: what's also interesting about what you've, what you've unpacked there in terms of the difference between UK and France and UK and Germany is, is that quite often the narrative and it's, it's happened in the conversations I've had on this, on this podcast series is there's a tendency to focus on the studios and their demands on the exclusivity of the window and their control of the window um, because of the, because of the big cinema chains and their, but actually that's in, in Germany and France, that's a cultural thing, isn't it? From a, almost like a state thing there's nothing there's nothing happening in britain from a state point of view that's saying to picture house keep the window open and exclusive for as long as you can it's that's only in picture house's interest isn't it to do that yeah
1: no it's uh, it's it, um uh obviously they are part of a bigger group mm. so there is obviously a group interest at play as well but um it's um It's also, there's also, uh, there used to be also pressure also uh, to observe it because they also wanted the big commercial films to play because that's what makes cinemas earn their money. Yeah,
0: and I think think that's the important thing as well, I was going to add, is that that's all very well when we're talking about a Marvel film or a Star Wars film, but like you described before, if it's a film that's going to get maybe a bit of heat for three or four days when it's maybe had a review in a broad sheet paper or something, but then after that initial flurry, there's no interest in it, and having a 90-day exclusive window for cinema on that film is like basically making it disappear off the earth.
1: Yeah, and then basically for, you know, the next release window, which usually is um, these days T-Bot, so, you know, you you uh, can buy the film on Sky cinema and uh, uh, Amazon um, and, you know, rent and buy it uh, to own. And it means you have to do the whole awareness building again. And uh, that is cost money and a lot of time and effort. And um, it's just for smaller films, it's so tough. But the thing is, what is happening now is, you know, I mean, I just read actually today, uh, Disney has pushed their releases again, but there was a lot of talk about where the windows are and seem to be kind of settling in. And I mean, the the windows have passed. Or in the UK, it's a third. I mean, now Studio Warners is going to have a 31-day window in the UK. Forty-five days in the US, so all of a sudden, <laughs> um, obviously, I, it it's going to be interesting what the bigger chains do with the independence. If they still insist on longer windows with the independence, because they obviously have less leverage, but I think it would be really hard to uphold a ninety-day window if everybody else gets a shorter window
0: exactly yeah 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 now going back to something so, you said before something you said before be yeah. about about why films fall through the cracks i think it's worth just sort of circling back oh, yeah. on that because i think what you were saying is that you know your general contacts in the industry the film star power the director's reputation the subject matter the genre these all matter but i think in 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 a, in in a short in a simple way what you what you're saying is sales distribution seeing a film come to market they're not as welcoming to an unknown unknown, no matter how good the film is, as they are with something they already know. So if they know who the yeah. producer is, if they know who the director... I mean, the director and the star is one thing, but a producer from nowhere that's got a new film that has that just gone to market because you've gone ahead and made it is actually fairly invisible to the marketplace, isn't it? Because if you've got no no position in the market, then you're essentially going cold, aren't you, to say, hey, watch my yeah. film. And buy my film, which, and I think I seem to remember from conversations you said about some of the some of the conversations that come out of distribution rewired, is that this is an important part of thinking about who's going to see your film when you're at the script stage, as much as it is when you've finished making a film. Yeah, yeah. In the sense of waiting until you've made your film to discover you've got no contacts is really the wrong end of it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm a big advocate of thinking about not just kind of end-user audiences but industry audiences early on and thinking about where this film is supposed to go Mm. because it takes time to build up contact, it takes time to get people's attention and uh, and so one thing I I actually want to put out there because it's kind of a very typical misjudgment new filmmakers uh, often do is that they think, okay, the way I get attention is I'm gonna get it into vessels and then everybody's gonna want it. Mm. And the problem is both uh sales and distribution uh vessels are really key part for them to sell and to distribute your films. So if you if you take that away from them, all of a sudden they don't want it anymore because you just took their Free launch platform away mm. because the great thing about a festival uh, selection is obviously you can't guarantee to be selected to the festival, but that's what you're aiming for and that's what you're working towards. But the great thing is you get free promotion, you get free critical acclaim, you get of a, a, a spotlight which you didn't pay for.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: If you take that away both from sales and distribution. And you think, well, no, but, you know, obviously that's the the one thing everybody thinks about is the festivals as an indie filmmaker. is. But if you do that and you don't connect before that first festival, to be quite honest, then you might miss your chance to uh, get one of these guys on board. And I have to say, in spite of things having... uh, you know, changed a lot and and there are more filmmakers now who make a conscious decision of driving the distribution bit themselves. Um, Most filmmakers still would prefer to work with a sales and a distribution company because it is a uh, a shed load of work and it's so many relationships you have to build on top of your filmmaker relationships. That's why there's a whole industry out there, because it's a lot of
0: work. Okay, well, that's a good segue, Beatrice. So <laughs> what what would you say are the pros of self-distribution? And then we'll do the cons of self-distribution. And in a sense, for the pros then, what resources am I going to need to self-distribute? And what should I be making time for?
1: Yeah, time is a, is a very important entity. But actually, the first thing you should know, if it's something... You think about and uh, just maybe the main reason for people to do it themselves, mm. who consciously go down that route, is uh, either they have already relationships because they have done it actually through the system a few times, yeah, and they have built up, um, you know, a, a pool of relationships, and they're doing maybe they're working in a certain niche of filmmaking where actually. Um, They can take advantage of these relationships themselves and don't need a middle, an agent in between or a middleman in between. Mm. The other ones are they want to keep control over the process of distributing. Or they're quite, uh, uh, they are aware that they are catering for a niche audience and they know that niche audience really well they actually have access to that niche audience because as part of their filmmaking process, they actually build all these relationships and they know it better than probably any distributor I know.
0: What would, be, what would be a good example of that off the, off the top of your head? Anything you can think of?
1: Well, actually, the film I helped uh, get out there last year via uh, The Georgies, um, this is a very good example of filmmakers who made a film about fans football fans in this case Newcastle United fans and um obviously because of the subject matter of their film they they are incredibly well connected in in that fan base mm. and you would i mean i don't uh, i don't know anyone who uh, would in terms of this distributor would be that well connected in that fan base, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is the main audience. So if who are you, you know, if you have that access and that happens to also be the audience for your film, then um you know, then it makes sense to think about doing it yourself. Yeah. If you haven't got access to the audience you want to get to, either, then how are you going to go about it? Well, if you still wanna retain, you know, more if you still don't wanna license your right away and you know, basically then to a certain extent you don't give away your film. Let's let's forget this idea that you give away your film anyway. Yeah. But um you obviously only license the rights away. So you keep the rights to your film. Mm. Um you own still own them but you license the distribution rights away. Um, And obviously, you're doing that and you should be doing that with somebody who does you think does the right thing with it. Mm. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody is happy to kind of relinquish that control. But um, I think there is kind of a middle ground where you actually do work with experts in that arena and that is consultants out there. And there are more and more of them out there. And it really depends where your gaps are. You know, let's say you come from um, a, a, another film I worked on and actually uh, uh, was on your podcast as well, *Battle mm. uh cycling documentary about Graham Aubrey. Uh, in that case, one of the producers uh, was in sports sponsorships, and so they knew this, again, Then knew that kind of sporting world really well, and uh, they knew a lot about PR, and we have still got film PR involved anyway, but uh, they knew a lot about PR. Uh, you know, then you can kind of cover a certain ground yourself, and that is the key thing. When you think about doing it being part of the, uh, the, the driving team yeah. in distribution, um, work out what can you do, cover yourself and where do you need help? And if you haven't done any distribution before, that's when you really need somebody who understands distribution to tell you actually the skills you need to do it. Mm. And what is actually missing? Because if you haven't done it before, you don't actually know what what you need to cover and what's missing.
0: We can't know what we don't know, can we?
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's it's it, uh, it's a complex
0: thing. So, in a sense, the pros and cons are are a, on the on a very basic level. You're going to have to commit some time to this. This is this is if you yeah. want to self distribute a big and money. Well, I was going to add. I was going to add, but then but then where where you can. Dedicate time because you're either limited in experience or limited in terms of your contacts, you may have to bring in unique specialist help who have an idea of how to navigate, I don't know, conversations with aggregators or dovetailing with cinemas if we're in a time when you can exhibit in cinemas. If that's something that you can. Whereas I'm guessing with something, as niche say We are the George is a Newcastle United documentary you as a fan base and the people who are in your film are naturally going to have contacts within the world of Newcastle United and naturally going to then leak into the media that supports the, the environment that is Newcastle United. So you could, you could arguably create some buzz, but that doesn't get the film seen. It doesn't get the film in a cinema. It doesn't. So it's kind of mixing the two. It's it's almost like doing a SWOT analysis on yourself, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely uh, on yourself and on your team. And, um, and, you know also look at okay well how far does my reach go
2: Mm.
1: you know i for example um i don't do it very often but i occasionally get involved and i distribute and i I make a point of this distribute with filmmakers
2: right okay
1: um so i'm not a distributor who distributes for them Mm. i distribute with them so i'm you know uh, they have to be part of the. T- you know, they have to be very hands-on with me, because I'm not a company. I'm a person.
0: <laughs> That's a lot like the advice that I've heard from from agents when they work with writers and directors. It's like I work with them to get work. I don't. They don't. They don't cease yeah. looking for work because I'm now their agent. Exactly. We, we so, work together.
1: So I. I you know i i bring a certain expertise to the table mm. i find the gaps they haven't found yet and uh and i can cover certain gaps mm. when i work with people but um it is a very different relationship to when you license a film mm. to somebody even if it's a small team yeah. a small distribution team and what we're seeing is that you know, we are seeing um, distributors, and that's again, it's something which um, accelerated through COVID, but had happened for years now, mm. is that every company checks okay, where can I cut overheads? And they have everybody has been slimming down, unless bigger companies which have been expanding their business arena, uh, uh, arena yeah. in general, but um, indie distributors and smaller distributors have been have had to look at their their setup and and actually fin it down and uh, you know outsource and, and bring people in on a release basis.
0: I suppose, and then then thinking about thinking about the cons then of of self-distribution then from what you've said,
1: but the thing is also the the other thing apart from actually, uh, I think it it it's a really tough thing to do if you haven't got um, access, direct access, and extensive direct access to your audience, yeah, um that also requires that you actually know who your audience is. The other thing is you can't. Do it yourself without money. And uh, this is money uh, which has to be raised on top of the production budget uh, because uh, distribution money does usually not sit in a production budget, even though you can have some lines in there. You definitely, and I would uh, advise every filmmaker, to put lines in for consultancy to early them plan because it's kind of it's like um it it's your safety break mm. because if you you know uh, if you are aware of what you're doing what your potential is um it it's something you can, you can fall back on if um you've got a bit of a cushion in your budget and you can put some in because every public funding application nowadays requires from filmmakers to make marketing and audience engagement plan and uh, and an idea how to distribute the film. And actually, uh, that is a good point to get somebody in and get some advice.
0: <laughs> Even if you were... 50 50 on whether you self-distribute or go a traditional route then you need to understand what what the distribution looks like um and i think i think from what you've said don't underestimate how much your business to business relationships and fostering and growing those is to any success you might have with your film full stop because that's how you, through the, through building those business-to-business relationships, that's how you grow a profile for you and your films. Yeah. Growing, making a film in a bubble away from everybody else is like the word, coupled with no idea of who it might watch it, is a recipe for disaster is what we're saying, isn't it?
1: Well, it's, it, you're making it very hard for yourself.
0: Yeah, sorry, yes. There'll, be, there'll always be an exception that'll prove that theory wrong. Um
1: you make it really hard for yourself and it doesn't mean, uh, you know, it, it doesn't work in the end because I think if you do, if you have an absolutely exceptional film, um, you have a chance that it cuts through it anyway. Mm. However, um, this is really, I mean, you basically have to have a genius film for that to happen. And anything which is only slightly flawed, you putting it at a huge risk and considering how much effort, especially a first film usually takes and the years of work that goes in it, that's a really high risk to take. And um, I, but you know this kind of industry knowledge. I, I mean, oh, it's kind of logical, isn't
0: it? I've heard it there around. Beatrice, from filmmakers have had on who have reached that achievement of having made a film, yeah, and it's and it's entering the film festival market, but there's no sales or distribution attached to it, yeah, and they haven't got the resources or the money to self-distribute. So the option yeah. is it eventually gets noticed. And that can mean and and you like you say, the 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 one the, the films that are, you know, half decent to uniquely brilliant are gonna find someone who can sell the film for you. But you're gonna have to wait, and that might take time, and then therefore you're sitting on something that either you've invested your savings into or somebody else's savings into that isn't gonna start to make any return on on, on the commitment made into it, let alone find an audience to watch it, which is ultimately what you set out to do.
1: But it's it, it also, you know, it, it, does it mean it's the only film you're ever going to do? Because you actually don't get to the point where you can make the next one.
0: Mm. True, yeah, yeah, you can almost put a break on what happens next by not having completed the, the cycle, as it were. Now, from what you've discussed so far, is there anything anything you wanted to say about self-distribution you've not been able to say yet?
1: Um, I'm sure there's loads because I could talk about it for days and months and years, which is what I'm doing.
0: One last question then, Bea. you, you we, we started at the beginning by saying that you, you, you founded uh, Distribution Rewired. Um, so what's 2021 uh, have in store for Distribution Rewired?
1: Watch that space i I can't uh it's not concrete. I'm talking to Edinburgh, which will happen in a very different form this year mm-hmm. after it didn't happen last but it, it kind of had a few um I, it had a collaboration with person on the film side happening but um so um this is still in the works, and um I'm um keen to do something in that framework but it will look very different it definitely won't be a two-day uh, event and i think this year um i think it's still difficult to plan for anything in person yeah. and timing wise i don't think that will work out it's definitely something which will happen in a bigger way again it might have to wait till next year to have a bigger uh reiteration again because um i want to do it properly and uh you know i've I've done it five six years you know i i kind of have a standard (laughs) and yes you know i could do some stuff online so it's kind of in the works okay i mean one thing i maybe would want to add to the whole um direct distribution also you know people like me being involved in it in a kind of consultancy way. Yeah. I mean, for me, I actually really like working that way. And um, because it's very creative, you know, you have to really come up uh, to, to make the most out of nothing. However, the big question every time I do it is, can I actually afford doing it? Because obviously uh, you work with filmmakers who kind of you know uh, um, have to scrape the money together to be able to do it and and there's only so much I can uh, you know I can ask them for uh, for my services. And it is that has been and uh, and actually it's very related to distribution varietyty as well, which is all around, you know, also doing it yourself is in terms of what comes back and what you have invest, especially the time you invest in, you're not getting paid for. There is a big question mark in terms of how we going to be able to properly monetize that to actually make it worth everybody's while.
0: Okay, so, so there does come a point in a conversation where you might have to say, this isn't something that you could really help them with. Or you would point out the weaknesses in, in distribution, but.
1: For my own sake, I have to kind of, I can't, I, I couldn't just do that because I probably could um, help three films absolutely max a year, if not just two. Because it's so much work in the run-up and then looking after it, and obviously you should then you shouldn't drop it on the day of release. So to do it properly, and I actually can't ask for enough money to live off that.
0: Yeah, no, I understand.
1: So I I can only do it additionally to other stuff, and it's a bit of a shame because. But I I will seek. I don't want to end on an absolute downer. I, I, it is kind of the thing I'm trying. I have been trying to work out for years. How can we make that space work? How can we find mechanisms which, you know, are the future of distribution, which, uh, you know, uh, are not as overhead-intensive as the our traditional distribution system, but kind of give the ones who do it in a different way a chance um, to actually make that work for themselves. Maybe not make them rich, but actually make it work <laughs> for
0: them. Well, that's a positive note to end on.
1: Yeah, so that's my internal question.
0: Well look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving you your time on the Britflix podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Stuart. It was an absolute pleasure as always.